0: You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to discover the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about our show or to contact us directly, visit our website at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. And we would like to welcome you, listener, not just to the show, but to episode 142. Um, Before we dive into this, let me uh, urge you, as I always do, to like and subscribe to the podcast. If you have not done so already, I'm not really sure what your excuse is at this point, that you have listened all the way to 142, almost three years of the podcast, and are still manually searching for the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I would not I would not have thought it possible, but yet my metrics tell me that is exactly what many of you are doing.
1: I am so, flattered to hear that we're still coming up in the search results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to add to that, Gandalf. Yes.
2: So my roommate from college, Matt Wallace.
1: Uh, Oh, I didn't realize y'all roomed together. Yeah, man. Oh, Me, Matt Wallace, Jim Newman. Because at first I was like, I knew you knew him and I could connect dots. When we were in our sophomore year when
2: Crestman dorm was a a guy's dorm. It was the girl's dorm in the first year. I was at the other end of the building. Well, that big three person room in the front. That was was uh, us, man. How about that? But anyway, Matt Wallace was in town yesterday and uh, his dad, Kevin, came in town as well for church. And they mentioned, Kevin said, man, I'm loving the podcast. I'm on episode 79. And Matt said, oh yeah, uh, I, I listened to a couple episodes and I just kind of lost track of it. And uh, I didn't know that y'all were still rolling. And then dad said, he's been listening to it faithfully. And his dad just said, son, you didn't subscribe. Ooh, house. <laughs> Family pressure. <So, for> <laughs> thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Matt. Um, love both of you all. But uh, if you have not subscribed, this is, a, this is your cue.
0: Matt, explain to me. I know it's changed on the iPhone. What do you have to do to subscribe to the if, podcast? If
2: I want to s- say that for memory, it's like called follow, and it's a plus sign.
1: A plus
0: sign. Let's see here.
1: Unless
2: you're driving, do that right now.
1: My, I have a check mark.
2: Is that yeah, that no, is? it's a it's a plus sign.
1: It says follow. And then once you do, it turns into a check mark. No, it's plus sign follow at the top. Yeah, but then it'll turn into a check mark once you click that. Mm. Am I making that up? I'm yes,
0: correct. Okay. Are, are we? Are, is Matt not subscribed to our own? No, podcast No, no, that was a
2: different podcast. <laughs> oh, never. I'm <laughs> definitely
1: responding it's, it's actually funny. I won't say it on air, but it's actually funny. What podcast he brought up that he wasn't subscribed? Yeah, to. <laughs> <laughs> that is for real. I am definitely <laughs> nothing. Not. It was nothing inappropriate, it was, <laughs> but it's, it was hilarious. It's a conservative political commentator. Uh, uh, and I'm not subscribed to him. Uh, he makes so me funny. mad. That's So funny. In
0: case you can't tell, listener, we are in the same on the same room, and just a little peek behind the curtain, I saw Matt pull out his phone. <laughs> and not know whether or not he was subscribed to the podcast or not. And I I don't know. I was about to come loose on that. By one. the way, that
1: that is the most like we're at the older, Matt and I are at the older end of millennial, and like that was the most here is your age range thing that's ever happened on this show. <laughs> uh, no, this over, is how you do the, it. <laughs> I can work. I can work it. Um, hey, can while we're talking about funny uh, anecdotes, um, yeah. I was talking with faithful listener and subscriber Dr. Ronald Meeks. Last week and like, uh, you know, my brother gave me a hard time that one time over how slowly we move. Well, Dr. Meeks pulled one, you know, just out of the woodwork and had maybe the best slow moving podcast joke ever. He called us the better than friction Bible podcast (laughs) uh, because we move that slow. So today we're not friction.
0: Today we're not moving at all. (laughs) Uh, I was about to say, well, we're about about to uh, zero ground. make that true because we're actually not covering... Yeah, we're calling, this, we're calling
1: this a special fall break detour episode where we just talk about stuff being weird. Yeah.
2: In fact, it's interesting. We've always thought, every single one of us, there are weird parts of the Bible. But really, one of the things the podcast has done for me and just taking another closer look by reading slowly through the scripture, as I've shared multiple times this year, I'm reading through the Bible in the, not the ESV, but the NLT, New Living Translation. The Bible's just, not just got some weird parts. Like when you take the biblical story and compare it to our world today, the Bible is just weird. Like from its inception forward, the whole story, it is so foreign to what we experience on a day and day today experience for us here in, you know, modern United States of America
1: that a lot of the Bible seems just really strange yeah and i do want to pick up because so much and we've talked about this a lot a little bit on the show but a lot uh, in private conversation so much of that is not has less to do with what and how they were writing than how our ears have unconsciously been trained to listen right um so like i you know I, i'll lead off with this um it's monday right yeah so yesterday morning in church i had someone and they talked about uh, the book of Daniel in Sunday school. And they were talking about the show of Shadrach, Meshach. I mean, the the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a show too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I go to VeggieTales. Yeah, I, I was thinking of Mr. Uh, Nezzer. Because as we've established, I'm on the older end of millennial. Um, right. But Mr. Nezzer. <laughs> the bunny, the bunny. No, sorry. I can't uh, sing that song. Uh, uh, the, anyway, um, uh, but they, you know, they just said, hey, we talked about God's mighty deliverance here. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The question every pastor gets asked, why don't we hear about this sort of thing happening anymore? Why doesn't God work the way he did then, now? And there's a very long version of my answer, but the second I mentioned this to Matt, Matt said, well, actually—
2: Yeah, let I- me tell you a story. So it, it's interesting. By the way, like Gandalf, if you were told a story today that there was this fiery furnace and there was these you know, three Middle Eastern guys that were thrown bound into the fiery furnace and that the furnace was so hot that the guards that threw them in perished, but that these men walked around inside the fire and then walked out unscathed. What If I told you that happened today, what would your thoughts be?
0: Uh, I would instantly, I think I would try to come up with some kind of like explainable, something within the physical realm. David Bain or like, not, not David Blaine. Blaine. David yeah. Blaine. David. Chris Angel. Mind yeah. free. Mind free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mind free. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would think either it's a trick, or I think there was some kind of natural phenomenon that would allow that to happen,
1: or something was going on with Matt's brain.
0: Yeah,
2: or maybe Matt's just schizophrenic or something.
0: Yeah, um, something like that.
2: Right. So, but to an ancient world, maybe not. So, when I was in the Philippines, and I've had the privilege of going over there several times, uh, I was on the southern island of Mindanao, and. Back in 2000, I believe it was 14. Um, don't quote me on that um, uh, because I can't remember the exact exact date for the the typhoon. They call their hurricanes typhoons, and Typhoon Sindong came and like completely destroyed this part. Yep. Lots midnight. It was it was it was horrific. It was awful, and it happened during uh, the end of the day and at dusk and going into the night. And stuff like that. And there was this lady that we got to talk to and she had three children and she was wanting to talk to me as I was there to train pastors. So she had this spiritual question and they literally took me to her house to answer her question. And she tells me her story and her story is during Typhoon Sendong, her neighbors are around there. They're trying to rescue her. All of these things. They're unsuccessful. She has her three kids with her. And then she and her three kids go underwater. And they stay underwater and everybody it's getting dark, everybody thinks they're, they're dead. They're under there for hours and not in an air pocket, but literally under the water. And she says in her words that for her and her three children, when she went under the water, it was as bright as the noonday sun, even though it was end of the day. It was bright. They could see everything under the water.
1: Yeah, and if I'm underwater, I'm not thinking about visuals at all. I'm thinking about the lack of oxygen. And
2: that they were breathing normally. Yeah, that's weird. They were breathing normally, even though they were completely submerged in water. And then they emerge out of it, and then her neighbors are astounded that she is still alive because they just saw them drown, and it's inexplicable. And this lady is not—when she's asking me about this, um, she is not in any way interested— If do I believe it happened or not? She knows what she's experienced. She's wanting to know what it means. And her neighbors
1: are like, yeah, we we saw them go
2: under. (laughs) Something happened. Something happened. But she wants to know how it happened and what does it mean. Yeah. Like that is her thing.
1: And that's interesting because that's a modern thing. That's a thing that if we could not, like our first thoughts, like me and Gandalf are over here like, what kind of empirical verification do you have for this account? Right. <laughs> right. Um, it was a lady that I talked
2: to. Her neighbors were in the house when she told the story. But you, but you everybody's ca- verifying this. Yeah, not but just you, her.
1: you capture like, again, it's not about what's being told. It's how it's being heard. Mm. Uh, if that story were told a thousand years ago, they would be asking across the board the same question she did. Not, can this happen? It did happen. Right. What does this mean? Yeah. We are so, I, I was talking in class this morning. Um, we're just talking about history and we're talking about history of interpretation. I said, one of the most humbling things for me is to see how often if you study the history of interpretation for Genesis or, you know, whatever in the Bible, sometimes there is a change in the trajectory of this is how it's understood. And then, oh, we're going to take a left turn here or get off on this exit ramp. So many times that's because there's a point of pressure of what's always been said suddenly became less palatable to hear. Mm. Um, and It is you cannot overstate, um, even though I wasn't going this far, you cannot overstate the impact of the Enlightenment and postmodernity on the way that we hear not just ancient stories, modern stories. I've shared aspects of my testimony, and some people that I shared it with were very blessed. They they had no uh, bent toward incredulity. Um, others were like, yeah, I'm not sure that that happened the way that you experienced, you know, like Mm -hmm. those are the ears with which we listen. And I sympathize when I was in seminary, um, I got into studying all all this stuff, history of interpretation, enlightenment impact. Um, you read about, um, a guy named Lessing and they call it the ugly broad ditch of history. And Lessing is one, uh, he kind of parsed things out the way that like a Neil deGrasse Tyson would today. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, um, well, there's religious truth, which is true to your experience, but then there's scientific truth, which is true for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's it's amazing. And I'm not trying to undercut scientific anything, but it's amazing how many, even in even an empirically uh, tested, verified scientific stuff. We've talked about this a few times on the show. How much of that rests on unprovable assumptions? Right. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, I mean, that's not what a
0: postulate. Is. Yeah.
1: not 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 attacking that at all. And so thankful for so many scientific breakthroughs. Um, um, but there's this, there's this two realms of truth thing that floats around that, that goes much, much farther back. Um, uh, Lessing had that he's like, on the one hand, there's like religious dogmatic truth true to universal experience or that religion is trying to speak to universal experience versus history, which is cause and effect. And, you know, everything is contingent. It reminded me of an essay, um, Before we started recording, it reminded me of an essay that I read when I was at seminary uh, by a guy by the name of Ernst Trelz. And the essay was written in 1898, and it's called On Historical and Dogmatic Method in Theology. And, of course, I'm not recommending anyone look this thing up and read it. (laughs) You can. It's out there. Um, But I'm going to tell you, without reading this, this is going to speak to a lot of how you size up new information that comes across your desk. So, he discusses in this essay three principles. The first is the principle of criticism. When you hear a truth claim, your inclination is not to accept it, it's to doubt it and ask questions of it. Like we've all heard that famous De omnibus dubitandum question everything, doubt everything, right? right. Of everything, be doubtful. Um, and so, for, for Trouch, in saying there's a principle of criticism, he would say historical endeavor does not arrive at truth, it arrives at probability to varying degrees. We hear Matt's story about the lady and her children who are submerged underwater, and our first inclination as moderns or as postmoderns is not to say, what does it mean? Her question. Right. We're trying to say, what really happened? <laughs> Air pocket. That's it. That, like, that's, that's where right. your mind can't help but go there. Right. Because that's the world we live in. Those are the ears with which we hear. Air pocket and flashlight. And that speaks to, interestingly, his second principle, principle of analogy. Drought says past uh, experiences and occurrences have to have analogs in the present in order to be true of claims in the past. In other words, if it doesn't happen now, it didn't happen then. That's his second big idea. Uh, And that's tricky with history because history by nature is not repeated. Um, Mm -hmm. But we can think of one thing that happens when people get trapped underwater. Like before I even said the principle, you went to some. hey, we have an analogy for people getting trapped underwater and surviving. Maybe they caught an air pocket uh, mm-hmm. like it just. You don't have to be taught this stuff to hear with these ears is what right. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the third one is principle of correlation. Um, and for him, all historical re- uh, events um, are interrelated by means of cause and effect. Um, uh, and so you don't have historical outliers. Um, if if there's a fire, there has to be a match. Uh, it's, it's It's stuff like this. And so. Um when you come across um, this is very tough for miracle stories because miracle stories, it, even though I would argue they're not as much in a vacuum as we sometimes think they are, and usually when you read miracle stories in the Bible, so um fiery furnace, Book of Daniel, there's so much. we've talked about this in previous annual it, uh, in episodes where there's so much in Daniel that points you back to Genesis, right right um, uh, but for for trelch not reading through those lenses. He doesn't ask, what does it mean? He's asking, is it true? Right. Did it happen? Right. Um, and that affects the way that you hear the story of someone trapped under the water or walking in the furnace. Um, yeah. uh, and and that's, that's just big. So like Trelch wouldn't read a Daniel chapter three where Nebuchadnezzar, uh, where Nebuchadnezzar asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down to this giant statue of him and say, how interesting. Daniel three uses the word Salem for this statue. Which is the same word from Genesis 1, where right. God creates mankind. In, this is a perversion it. of what God created things to be. yeah right. he, he's so he's so busy addressing one question that his mind cannot entertain the other question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I guess you know we talk about how the podcast has changed the way we read the Bible, I'm less obsessed with some of the questions that I used to ask, and I'm just engrossed in a different set of questions. Gandalf, as sitting there and and taking in
2: this, what he's talking about, how has that been for you of the way you read the Bible now versus before? I I know a lot of our, uh, you have been for me and you are for me. Like for instance, if I get an email that is questionable and I can't tell if it's spam or not, I send it. He's my, (laughs) he is my go-to myth buster. Like, and it's not, not just on technology stuff. It's like, just because he is, you know, he is a, he's well-read in the Reddit world. He's the most broadly learned person on this podcast. Let's just go ahead
1: and say it. No, I do say it. I say it to people all the time. We we all
2: know, we all know.
1: It's not the pastors.
2: Yes, Uh, correct. So, so anyway, for you as being one that is good at spotting people who are playing you. Um, just because of your broad knowledge base, how has this process of learning to read the Bible in a different way shaped you?
0: Uh, it makes it makes straightforward reading through books a lot easier because if you read things through like if you try to study like Sunday school style, right, you just go from major narrative plot arc to another, you end up getting to what we've always called the flyover passages with like um. the Nephilim. You know, we always skip that part. Right. And there are always right. kind of scared to go there because we don't really want to reconcile the right. weird stuff of what it means or how, how we can make that fit. It's a lot more freeing to be able to read the Bible and just read it and not be caught up in. How does this mesh with my current view of the world and just be able to read it with what it, what am I trying to be taught here?
2: And, you know, there's another thing is in a lot of ways we demythologized the Bible. Um, so, for instance, growing up, I remember my pastor, whom I love and respect, got to talk to last week. By the way, uh, Holly Miller, uh, Brother Holly, uh, Doctor Miller takes a, a different view on Genesis six on who the Nephilim are, stuff like that, than I do. Um, where I'm, I lean in, and it's no shock to you all that I, I think that the New Testament authors and the Old Testament authors believe there was some kind of supernatural and physical something going on there i I won't say exactly i mean i've got some opinions but there's there's more to just that story than hey the sons of seth and daughters of cain got together i I just you know and
1: again that's not it doesn't that's not just a matt powell view that seems to be a jude and second peter view
2: that's right this is and lots of ancient
1: interpreters yeah it's not a not a we're not leaning into the weird into a vacuum we're not looking for stuff to be weird (laughs) right right um but one of the things is like, for
2: instance, growing up, I was told, hey, nothing to see here. By the way, the Nephilim, they're not even important. They're only talked about really one space in the Bible. It's Genesis 6. And we can skip over that and be well, safe. And Numbers 13. But not just that, like one of the most famous stories in the entire Old Testament concerns a little boy taking on a Nephilim or a slingshot. Like a descendant a of descendant, the Neph-
1: yeah, yeah, a quasi
2: nephilim. Yeah, he's well, he's a descendant. Well, the the nephilim who are descendants of the nephilim are still called nephilim in numbers. So, because he is a descendant of the Anakim. what part nephilim? Rephaim,
1: what 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 part of your blood code has to be nephilim? Right, to the, exactly. There, there we go to We're put thinking. that on your college application. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, but we see he's a giant, yeah, just no, like I'm the kidding. yeah. I'm being tongue in cheek. I'm but, sorry, but what I'm saying is,
2: is that for instance, to the ancient world. And, them reading well, this, and, and
1: that, that adds a potential level, level uh, to David and Goliath when it's God's champion and God's working through a little guy to strike down a future iteration of a Nephilim ancient foe. Yeah. By yeah. the way, when, uh, fast forward to second Samuel 21, when David goes out to battle for the last time and ironically things have come full circle and he's almost killed by a giant. Mm. Uh, and importantly, you know, the Septuagint, uh, categorically renders Nephilim, Nephilim as giant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, but there's the, the, so, so much like that, even, you know, even going to, and I'm not, I don't know your former pastor. I don't, it, it, it's spe- a great guy. Yeah. It speaks to the, you mentioned the demythologizing thing that goes to Rudolph Bultman, because once we, once we have this criteria of this is how truth claims work in our heads. If we hear something, this is what you said at the outset of the episode that does not fit that framework quickly. And we parse it out too quick. We don't ask, what does this mean? we ask, how do I find palatable truth in what seems like a fantastic story, right? It's, it's so, a Scooby-Doo approach. Yeah, and so we look yeah. We look for like a kernel, like this is the Rudolph Boltmann thing, where you look for a kernel of existential truth hiding under a a historically dismissed myth. Um, and so you have, you have lots of people pushing back on that. I think of Kevin Van Hooser. He wrote a book called Remythologizing um, because he would say, and so many would say, that if you're trying to get... Uh, Whether it's the theological or metaphysical or philosophical truth claim out of its story, you do yourself a great disservice by winnowing out the evidence with which you're working before you get to the truth claim.
2: One of the things for me in this process of learning to read the Bible and going back again is how the New Testament reads the Old Testament. That's big. That's so big. It's very big. But when we talk about Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, Primarily growing up, if it was, hey, we're going to talk about Genesis 1 and 2, we were talking about creationism. And in my particular circle, it was young earth creationism, a, a very, what does the Bible have to say about what we know about science and what do we know about origins and stuff like that from a very materialistic, how did the sun get here? How did the moon get here? How did the galaxies get here? Why is there an earth? Why is there all of this stuff? It was very Descriptive of that. However, can
1: I, can I throw in some Christian contemporary music? Yeah, from sure. that time. God of wonders <laughs> yeah. beyond our galaxy. Yeah, you are holy. I think that was Third Day. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, holy. that was, Wasn't that like a community effort though? There were several people that worked on that song. I don't I know. Remember,
1: Lord of heaven <laughs> and earth. I remember That's that. A... But, I don't know, but I'm going to sing.
2: But <laughs> when you get to Colossians one, when Paul is interpreting the creation story. And he's saying, listen, he's the firstborn over all creation, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, whether visible or Or invisible, invisible, all things have been created by him and for him, like, through him. That's big language. This is, Paul is telling us the way I read Genesis 1 is... Reductionistic. Yeah, he reads Genesis 1 as the beginning of the story of how heaven meets earth, literally. That's it. And that's what he is pulling from this story. And so while, like, I I feel like me learning to read the Bible anew and afresh, and God willing, I continue to do that. Uh, But while... Make the Bible weird again. Yeah. But looking at Genesis 1, like people who want to relegate the Bible to just nothing more than myth. I, I am more persuaded than ever that that is so erroneous because there, the Bible is so much more than just a story about general truths of the universe. Mm. Yeah. It, it but, is, it, but at
1: the same time, I thought like if we, uh, there's an equal and opposite error where we like bind ourselves to play in that playground and that sandbox yes. out of the gate. And we're like, no, here's why it's literally true. And, like, I have as high a view as is out there of how true the Bible is. Right. But I'm saying sometimes we defend the truth of the Bible by playing in Trelch's and Blessing's sandbox. That's it. Um, uh, read it. Uh, it's the thing that we say. It's always more, not less. When you see the, how um, uh, intertextual, how, uh, how elusive stories are, forwards and backwards in the... Like there are bigger, there are way bigger truth claims going on than just how many. I'm not dismissing the importance of how many days in creation. I'm not dis- dismissing the importance of discussions of how old the earth is, but I'm saying ancient listeners were asking way bigger things. Yeah. Uh, that, and don't take my word for it. Read some ancient interpreters.
2: Right. I, I feel like if we could go back in time, it's like, hey, you know
1: what? I, I just
2: wish I could sit down and talk to the apostle Paul about, you know, this question, or I could sit down and ask Moses about this. Something tells me that if we were put in a circle group for quick Q and a with Moses, we would be the only one in the group. If the group was made up of ancient peoples and one of us, we'd be the only ones asking the questions that we are like, they're asking a whole different set of questions. Like the things I think that are important to them are just not important to us and the things that we think are important. were just not the main point of what is being written down. Mm. So that's what this podcast has done for me. It's helped me try as best I can to read the Bible from their perspective.
1: Um, yeah, so, and uh, (laughs) a peek behind the curtain, like this is the framework for the discussion we've been having, uh, shortly before this, I shared with Matt, uh, something I listened to so that someone sent me this morning, uh, that's kind of revisiting. Um, here, here are some problematic things to consider for the way that ancient history is typically viewed. And it gets weird, but I was like, but Matt, this stuff's not as weird as it used to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then and I was like, Matt, okay, you can tell me about Atlantis again. I'll listen. I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen with fresh ears this time. Um, no, but, but, but then like, I don't know how I stumbled onto it, but I was on Wikipedia and I stumbled onto Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne is the name of the con- company. Uh, if you've ever seen Terminator two. I was gonna say that's Terminator 2, <laughs> who launches Skynet. Yeah, yes. uh, of course it's Cyberdyne. And and this is and this is what gets the Terminator thing going. Only there's a real Cyberdyne now. Like I, I still don't think Matt I'm gonna show Matt my computer monitor so that he believes me. All right, I'll uh, scoot over and look at it. Uh the the Oh, no, that's a Terminator website. Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> and just like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's a, essentially a, uh, a company in Japan that has actually started making like exoskeleton. Here it is. They're even traded on the stock exchange. That's um, how you know it's for real. Uh, a Japanese robotics company that makes exoskeleton sc- suits uh, talks about augmenting human strength and stuff like that. Uh, and this is how many suits they've made to date. Like, it's weird... It's weird because 1992, right. if you're watching Terminator, it seems so complex and so far in the future that it's clearly fiction. Right. And now we have Cyberdyne. Th- right. and don't, don't hear like crazy conspiracy guy. I'm just right. saying the, the future is complicated, but the future doesn't look as complicated in light of AI and other things. Like every now and then I have, I have a deviated septum, So every now and then I'll get some like nostril breathing in the mic. Gandalf found like this AI thing that takes the breathing out of the mic. Like that's the complex world in which we live. But not only is the future complex, the past is complex too. Mm. And just because the set of questions and the ears with which they listen are different doesn't mean it's not worth hearing them out is what I'm saying. By the way, when you talk
2: ancient church fathers
1: also don't buy Terminator products, Clement of Rome and Justin Martyr,
2: both of these guys deal with ancient myths as a pathway to talking about the myth that is true essentially like CS Lewis yeah absolutely like this this was their launching pad it it was it was not
1: to say that that oh what was well it? they also have no problem first clement i think of first clement uses the first clement has no problem with talking uh, distinguishing between uh, a, a myth that is strictly illustrative versus myth that is making a truth claim. So mm-hmm. like first Clement appeals to the myth of the Phoenix, there is a bird right? Um, versus, you know, uh, engaging some of this other stuff. Uh, it, it, it is the way that you tackle metaphysical things uh, in their world.
2: It seems just appropriate to read that famous uh, CS Lewis quote. I read it a couple of weeks ago,
1: but it, it fits here. So this is CS Lewis. So remember, if you don't like this podcast, you're not really taking up with us. Taken up with C.S. Lewis. Yeah, exactly. Deal with that.
2: Uh, Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us the same way as the others, but with us this tremendous difference that it really happened. And one must be content to accept it in the same way, remembering that it is God's myth, where the others are men's myths i.e., pagan stories are God expressing himself through the minds of poets using such images as he found there, while Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things. So it's interesting. He's saying, listen, the pagans got kernels here and there, and the kernel of truth idea that Clement is, that's his. That's it. There it's all scattered We've out there. We talked about this, you know. Right. You Mount,
1: can, Mount Olympus, Garden Mountain, you know, things like that. We've talked about uh Demigod, right. yeah.
2: You you can talk about like uh, Pandora's box. The whole idea, you can see the origin of sin, stuff like you 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 can see little kernels there, not in full, but just little pieces. And I think really ultimately one of the reasons I love the Gospel of John so much is that John as opposed to the other Gospels, is written, or at least traditionally so, written later. Like, John's been marinating on this story for a long time. He's not just giving you the play-by-play. John doesn't use the word immediately, like Mark does. Um, He's been marinating on this story a while. And the opening grand story is talking about Jesus as the Word, and that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this, like, all kinds of past generations, both Jews and pagans, have been talking about the unseen world, the creation, all of that stuff. And John is saying, "Listen, God Himself came wrapped in human flesh, and we saw Him." And I'm thinking, First John, there, First John chapter one. But um, man, I, I just—the more I read the Bible, the more I'm persuaded it's true. Mm. And then, it, by the way, like Lewis, I believe this stuff actually happened. Like, I don't believe that it is made up stories to tell us some universal truths. I do believe that it happened. Um, but it's more it there's it like the myths, the stories yeah, are told I, to convey I, I, something. I, I, it's I, written like that.
1: Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is in in, in contrast to Lessing and contrast to Trelch. Th- my own study, and I'm sure it's limited, but my own study, I find myself asking less and less: Does this jive with the way I'm tempted to see reality? Right. I, I find myself not asking the "Did it happen?" question anymore, and more of the "What does it mean?" Mm. Can just tell me what it means. That's that's for me. So it's, it's like uh, this is a terrible analogy. Um, it's like being married to my wife. I I knew. <laughs> I knew. I knew um, I knew I knew her well enough to marry her. I part of being married to her is seeing all the ways our brains are different and, the, and, and just gradually discovering the things you didn't know, you couldn't know. you right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's when you, when you're married and your spouse says something at first that doesn't jive with your expectation because they are not you. Um, you're like, Oh my gosh, did my spouse just say that? Like, is that how they see this issue? And like, the longer and more happily I'm married, I find myself not asking, "Did Haley really say that?" I find myself caring a whole lot more. What does my wife mean when she says, "Whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love her better by not expecting her to be me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's something about that with the Bible.
2: So, in wrapping this up, you know what I told the Haley, lady? "I
1: love you." If you ever listen to this, okay,
2: <laughs> but you probably won't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The lady in the Philippines, you know what I told her is I said, good. We don't, we don't have to even know in your case, whether it happened, how it happened or any of that to understand what this means for you, because there are things that we know that have happened. And then that's where I used it as the launching pad to talk about who Christ is, how he came. He worked miracles. Anything's on the table when Jesus is on the table but also he did not come to work miracles he came to seek and save the lost that's it
1: now usually when god brought someone through water though he had great salvific redemptive yeah, purpose that's for right them. of course
2: <laughs> of course but at the same time one of my favorite passages is when jesus sends out the disciples and they come back and they said lord i mean the demons submit to us in your name and he and he says hey that's that's incredible guys but don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice because your names are written down. Well, yeah,
1: and that's the that's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing. We read that, and we read it as a story of a miraculous claim. For them, it's a story of faithfulness. The point is not just that God was with them in the fire. The question is, I mean, the issue for them is even if God's not with them, they're not going to worship the false mm. image that never. You know what I'm saying? Big. The ears through which we listen affect the eyes with which we read, and... I don't know. That's, I've really profited a lot from this podcast.
0: Well, you know, a, a practical application of that, talking about how it's changed my way of i am reading scripture. When I was a child, I would hear the story of Jesus walking on the water, the, storm, the stormy waters. In my mind, as like an eight-year-old, I was thinking, now is the water solid? And so every time a wave is coming, he's like bobbing up and down, or is he like walking oh, on yeah. like a plane, of mm-hmm. like maybe in a, a transparent surface? And now I read that, I'm like, oh, they see... They think of the Spirit of God hovering over chaotic waters. They're
1: listening with different ears. There's a really good Irish joke about that, by the way. Seamus uh, is told when he's 16 years old that when his grandfather turned 18, he went out behind the house and walked upon the lake, and it proved that he was destined for great things in manhood. And then when he was 17, he was told that likewise his father walked across the water on his 18th birthday, and it proved that he was destined for great things in manhood. And so Seamus waits for his 18th birthday and he goes out to walk upon the water as his grandfather and father had before him, only to, you know, sink with a great big splash and crawl back into the house, wet and ashamed. And he said, grandmother, I don't understand. My grandfather walked upon the water when he was 18 and my father walked upon the water when he was 18 and I sank like a stone. She said, Seamus. Your birthday's in June, and theirs was in January.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not always, sometimes you can't know what really happened until you know what it means. Oh, Oh, that's good. Well, listener, we're at the end of the podcast, and you know what that means. It means that I'm telling you to like and subscribe to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. That way you receive a notification every Tuesday morning when we talk uh, about, most of the time, another 30 minutes of discussing the biblical narrative. it was fun to do this this little uh, outlier episode. Maybe we'll do some more of these. It was fun, yeah. But you'll Fall only break. hear about it if you're subscribed to the podcast. <laughs> so please do that, and we'll be back next week. Until then, have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. All right, that was a forty-two minute episode. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. Like when I did, like when I did, we'll like this. We went, we went on for like another. <laughs>